You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Welcome to another exciting edition of Felony Podcast. Broadcasting live, as always, from my living room in beautiful, scenic, southeast Portland, Oregon. And oh, what a dreary summer day it is. It's nice to mix it up a little bit sometimes. Uh, here at Felony Inc. Podcast, in a society that houses the largest inmate population on Earth, anything that can be done to curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable, and that's what we attempt to do one show at a time, one guest at a time here at Felony Inc. Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my beloved co-host, Meg Thibodeau. Meg, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm hanging in here, Dick. I am hanging in. I feel that. <laughs> Sorry, it's all it's you a, really can do. It's a mixed. It's a mixed agenda, isn't it? There's a lot going on. I think we are in a strange place where we both have the um, have the blessing of witnessing incredible miracles and shifts in our society and culture, and also change can be really painful and present a lot of really. Uh, tough information. So I think our job right now is to get better and better at withstanding uncertainty. And I think that's something that those of us who have trekked through the justice system and come out the other side are, are already somewhat practiced at. So I think we're in good company here. Yeah, I agree completely. Change is uh, it's hard, it's painful, but it's absolutely necessary to survive and uh, to thrive as a species. It's quite a time to be alive. Indeed. <laughs> I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, today, we have a very special guest with us. Um, I, if you want to consider it uh, the third part of our three-part series on the Family Preservation Project, our guest today is Nova Sweet, who is a graduate, an advocate, uh, and an outreach volunteer specialist for the FPP, Family Preservation Project. Uh, for those that don't know, just... A quick reminder about what the FPP is about. The Family Preservation Project promotes individual and system level change to reduce the collateral consequences of parental incarceration on children, families, and communities. Nova Sweet, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. <laughs> Looking forward to this interview very much. Uh, Nova, typically how we do it here on Felony and Podcast is we kind of get to know you a little bit by just giving us a little insight on kind of your uh, childhood, your upbringing, what kind of led you on the path that you uh, that led you to incarceration, and then uh, we go on to your transformation. So, uh, would you oblige us with a little bit of uh, background? Well, boy, this sounds like a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> close, close. And so, how does that make you feel? Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I, uh, I think one of the fun things about my history is that I was born in a teepee in the mountains of Ashland, Oregon. I'm a native Oregonian. Um, I was born in the early 70s. I grew up with a single mom, the oldest of four. Um, I always was the, uh, the, the people pleasing, get good grades, do everything I was supposed to um, in the classroom. 
and at face value. Um, but secretly behind closed doors, I would, you know, sneak out or maybe uh, chase after boys. Um, and then in high school started drinking. And then uh, I, I also um, am very tall. I'm six foot four. So I was an athlete um, and I earned a full ride scholarship out of high school. So I played division one college basketball um, from 90 through 94. I went to the University of Louisville out in Kentucky. Um, again, continued to get good grades and do everything I was supposed to, you know, as far as what you could see up front. But again, behind closed doors, smoking pot, drinking, uh, running in mixed crowds um, and, you know, just exploring the wild side of life, I guess you could say. Um, I graduated with a bachelor's in criminal justice. I then went on to coach and I graduated with a master's in criminal justice. Um, I all along had been in various uh, relationships with men that um you know, we're ultimately now that I'm older, you know, we're filling the void that my biological father and my uh, stepfather could never fill because they were either drunk or absent and whatnot. And, you know, I now know that hindsight's always 2020, right? Um, and so I, you know, I, I've gotten relationships where I was drinking or doing drugs because my partner was, or I was in some sort of emotionally abusive relationship because, you know, that's how I interpreted love. Um, love and pain were very much one for me. Um, uh, domestic violence, so on and so forth. So I, um, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky for about 11 years. I was a professional. I still was not a criminal at that time. I, uh, I, I knew a lot of criminals, but I personally wasn't committing any crimes. Um, I then had a child who is now 20. And um, when he was about six months old, I realized I wanted to move back to Oregon so I could be uh, close to home. Got back to Oregon, um, continued to work professionally, got involved with another person um, who I had my second child with. That turned into a super abusive relationship and is probably where I really went downhill. Um, and then through that, uh, got more involved with drugs and that path got more involved with the criminal side of the world, which is how ultimately I, uh, ended up in prison because I was, you know, involved in criminal activity. Um, I, during all that chaos, I managed to go back to college and get another master's degree in, uh, social work. Um, and so I, it just was always this really strange dynamic of doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing, um, all mixed with addiction and denial. So here I am today. <laughs> that's, um, that's really, that's kind of unique. I mean, I'm very curious. Can we just go all the way back to the TP real quick and yes. Tell yes. Us, just tell us what a little bit about the TP situation. Yes. How did your mom end up in a teepee? I have a lot of uh, a lot of feelings about single parenting, having been one myself. Yes. Well, at that point, it was my mother and my father, and um, my my dad was all I know is that he was AWOL from the army. They were not married, um, and we were naked most of our young life or my young life. And I I just know I think we might have been squatters. I have no clue. Um, and my mom, 
I don't know how we ended up in those mountains down there, but we, I lived in a teepee and we were on somebody's land. Um, I, I honestly don't know, but that was told I was about four years old, which is when my little brother was born. And then we lived in like this makeshift cabin that my dad managed to build. We never had running water. We never had a toilet, nothing like that. So I don't, it was real hippie stuff. It sounds very River Phoenix. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty intense. <laughs> I that never had any friends. Really yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so interesting how your life was so bifurcated. I think that that's a really interesting and common, um, and not to get too therapist, but psychological right. process that we see, you know, coming up, people often have terrible childhoods and just go directly towards, um, towards crime or towards rebelliousness. Yep. I can really relate to that sort of surface doing the right thing, but that, you know, being that people pleaser, trying to figure out how to organize yourself to get your needs met yep. and then underlying, because you really don't have that stability of family of origin, you really don't have that support system or those folks that are giving you quality, um, elderhood, right? And you are doing the things that have a much more fast impact, the drugs, the relationships, the things that feel more quickly connective. Um, I, I know that was the case for me with drugs, particularly I was, you know, once I got off drugs, it was very curious to me how long it took to make a friend because man, mm -hmm. you can fall in love with a friend really quickly over mm -hmm. some lines of cocaine in a bar yes. bathroom. Oh my Absolutely. God, I love you. Right. And yes. I would feel so immediately and deeply connected and feel like I was part of a community. So I find that really fascinating. Um, can you tell us a little bit about then sort of your arrest, how that happened? How much time did you spend in prison and what that moment was where you realized I need to be what this whole complete person in alignment with my core values. Yeah. So I, um, man, I, everything came crashing down pretty quick. I was, um, so I went to prison in January, 2012 back up roughly six months. So we're going to put that, I want to say May ish, 2000, Wait, so maybe that was two, yeah, 2011. I was arrested for the first time ever in my life. And that was for a burglary one. Um, I was with some people who entered a house, committed a crime. I was in my car on the street. Um, these people ran off, yada, yada, yada. I sat in my car, saw it all go down, panicked, drove off, parked in a church parking lot. The police found me. I lied to the police, said I didn't know what was going on, so on and so forth. I remember the cops saying to me, you have an opportunity to be a witness right now or a suspect. And I, you know, made up 10 different stories about how I didn't know what was going on. Um, and so I was arrested, obviously. Um, and then I was able to lie my way out of that situation and get uh, on a, what do they call it up in Portland? Uh there's like, there's a program up in Portland for first time offenders, closed street supervision, supervision maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I was eligible for that. Um, so I got out on that. And so I think I spent maybe two weeks in jail, which was a nightmare. Um, and, and not, not a nightmare because people were mean to me because I had never slept on beds like that. I had no clue about how to sit in a cell for that long. I, it was just 
the food, all those things. It was, uh, you do not get smart in jail. I learned that. It was very strange. You know, I'd been a college athlete and privileged all sorts of just really intense, amazing settings, and now I'm in jail. Um, and then, you know, I'm steady thinking about, well, how can I still lie to people? Because I didn't want to be honest about my drug addiction. Um, so anyways, uh, I was able to get out still lying to people. I had to go to like a drug and alcohol assessment and um, <laughs> managed to lie through that. I don't have any problems, blah, blah, blah. Um, and still continue to use, right? And so I uh, managed to finagle a probation deal where I got 56 months uh, downward departure with three years of probation, assuming I completed that successfully. And I told everybody, oh, yeah, that'll be fine. I have no problem doing that. I comply, I comply. But I'm thinking in the back of my head, oh, cool, I can still get high, right? And so by this time, I my opioid addiction to Vicodin has flipped to methamphetamine addiction because it's cheaper. And for me, I got the same high. Um, and so I now am smoking meth every day. Uh, and so I, my crime happened in Portland. I now get this deal for probation. So I'm now moving, live back in Corvallis, which is where I live now. I'm in Corvallis. I'm still getting high and I get pulled over um, because the police obviously know what I'm doing. And uh, I get a possession charge. So, which would have been a normal misdemeanor, you know, slap on the hand, uh, drug court possibly. And my probation's revoked and I end up in prison within six months. For, and I, so I had good time. So I got 36 months. And then I really had to be honest with people because now I can't lie. So you go to Coffee Creek, correct? Yep. In Salem. And then how do you get uh, from... Wilsonville. In Wilsonville, that's right. Yep. Coffee Creek, the women's prison here in Oregon. You yep. go there. And then how, what is the process between getting to prison, finding and becoming part of the Family Preservation Project? Um, well, when you get to prison, you, well, at least when I got to prison, I was desperate to figure out how to, um, make amends for screwing everything up. I mean, looking up in my mom's eyes and my kid's eyes and realizing, you know, the damage I was doing, uh, I, yeah, I I was desperate to figure out what that was going to look like. So you ask around, you ask anybody and everybody what's available and you read the bulletin boards and you ask the officers and you just, at least I did, I listen, 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 you read the brochures, you, anything available. And that's what I did. And then, you know, there's a kite system. And so I started writing kites. I remember I applied to all these programs on intake, which for people who don't know, you're on intake, you know, anywhere from a couple of weeks to a month or whatever. And you're not eligible for anything on intake, mind you, but I didn't give a shit. I still wrote kites asking to be an electrician, asking to be in this and all this stuff. And so I would just send out kites and um, I get all these replies back. Well, you got to wait for this and this and this. And so I just kept asking and advocating for myself because that's all I knew how to do. And eventually I got on a list and then eventually I got into the program. And so that's, you know, that's my story because I knew how to apply for college. I knew how to get a job. That's not every woman's story. They don't all know how to do that. And or, and or they might, you know, hear about it, but they not everybody knows how to 
it's just, I definitely understand that I have a privileged in, uh, experience at Coffee Creek and was able to get certain things because of my own personal experience. And I, I wish that wasn't the case for everybody, but I do want to call that out. I feel that too. I've said before that I've gotten what I got in prison, despite not because of the system, in large part, being a white woman, in large part, being able to seek out what I needed. I hear you. I did the same thing. I yeah. got there and I was like applying for jobs like I yeah. was applying for jobs. I was like, nope, yeah. I don't want to get in the kitchen. And I was like all over, like I was on a college campus instead of a prison right. compound. You know, at some point I hit a wall though, bam. And I was like, um, a real reckoning with, you know, that, that momentum for me stopped. I don't know about you. Um, what was the part, where was the part of the process where it sounds like just getting arrested and getting to prison was it like a, a bottom for you, a place where you really had to turn things around when you were, when you had to stop lying about your drug addiction. Um, was there a moment for you in Family Preservation Project or at any point where you really had, tell me about like, tell us about the reckoning where, you know, you really get filled with the, um, you know, the desire to do better, the desire to do service, the desire to take your privilege and your experience and all those things out to the world and, and make something instead of hiding it, make mm -hmm. something wonderful and helpful and impactful out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that some of that was always within me before. I just didn't have this uh, value system um, that I was rock solid on before. Like I've always wanted to help people. I've always had this social worker heart. I've always had a, you know, a heart for the underdogs and stuck up for people. That's always been me, but I've also been the one to somebody said, Hey, let's go do this. I'm, I'm like shiny keys. Okay, let's go do that too. You know? So inside prison, I was able to really be focused that I needed to focus on Nova and what was best for Nova and how does that, what does that look like? So FP, so I was, I had done 18 months before I was able to participate in FPP, which was my final. What was your total months. sentence? 36 months I spent okay. in there. So in my first 18 months, the things I got to be able to be a part of was, uh, I went to a couple different church services on a regular basis. I started doing AA and NA weekly meetings. I found a sponsor inside and started working the step program. Um, and so those were things that I did every single week. I, I mean, I had activities every day of the week for me, which is not common for most people because prison is very mundane. Um, I got, I applied to a computer technology program, which they'd worked out of the seven habits of highly effective people. So that was another workbook I was working out of. Um, I got, I, I had friends on the outs who would send me different, uh, because I have a therapist background, would send me different <laughs> workbooks that I would request. So things around codependence no more, just different things that I really knew that I needed to work on. Um, and so it was like this perfect storm of learning to love myself, hold myself accountable, making amends, working on my wreckage of my past. Uh, the step work really helped like do my inventory and write things out and come clean with my sponsor about what I had done. Um, that really helped me just settle in and be, and be done with it and be sober and be okay with it. So I, 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 I it was a, I mean, 
I obviously don't want to have to go to prison and be away from my family, but I really made the most of it and I, I'm grateful for it. And so then when I got into FPP, I was able to, I had really worked on loving myself. And so I had this moment where I was like, well, now I can finally love my kids as much as I love myself because I recognized prior to all of this work, I was only, so if I only loved myself 25% of a maximum of a hundred, I was only loving my kids up to 25%. And that made me feel like a real piece of shit. Like I would say, I love my kids so much, but I'm not loving them because look at how I'm loving myself. So I was really working hard on loving myself the most I could because I really wanted my words to mean something when I said I love my kids. I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. Okay. It's, it's interesting. It's kind of counterintuitive, you know, for a lot of people, especially folks that, you know, have, don't have the solid family of origin and things like that to feel like the self-care or the self-love is selfish. And in fact, it's the most selfless thing we can do because the minute we really love ourselves, we stop demanding other people make us whole. Right. So we come from a yes. really solid foundation and then we are capable of actually loving other people. It's a great gift for your children. That's that's a really amazing story. It's it's been huge and it's been huge for like I have not had uh I have not, you know, I've dated a few people since I've been out, but it's been for, you know, going out to have fun or whatever. But I've not been interested in having uh a serious relationship with somebody because that's not my focus right now. I have my daughter's uh, eighth grader. I, she can see me date as far as like fun times, but I don't, I'm just, my focus is not on that right now. I want her to see a healthy mom working, doing what she's supposed to having healthy relationships with men. I don't want to do any of that weird shit that I used to do. So, uh, no, but just out of curiosity, yeah. Right before you, I mean, you have multiple degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you were getting involved with drugs and, and kind of mm -hmm. the wrong crowd a little bit. Did you have any aspirations prior, I mean, before prison? Like, did you have any kind of goal in terms of doing, becoming a social worker, or any kind of work for the community at all? Or what was your thoughts at the time before this all happened? Yep, I sure did. I was working as, um, I, I don't know that I ever really knew exactly what I wanted to be, but I, I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to help for a long time. I wanted to help young people do better in life. And then I worked uh, with people under 18 for a long time. And then I decided, no, screw that. I want to help adults. Um, but I was a therapist for many, many, many years. And I actually worked on my LCSW um, prior to getting in trouble. Um, and so I, while I was one of the things FPP helped me figure out while I was at Coffee Creek was getting in touch with the Oregon um, Board of Social Workers to find out that I was still eligible to get my LCSW. I, I had completed all my uh, supervision hours, all my face-to-face uh, -face clinical hours, and not in Oregon, those things don't go away. I hadn't done anything wrong with, you know, as professionally. I, I was ethical. I did all those things correctly. Um, so FPP helped me reach out to the board. They said, no, you're fine. Once you get out, you just need to follow this packet and do this and do that and then take your test. And so lo and behold, I, I'm currently a licensed clinical social worker. I actually got my license while I was still on parole. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's what I do now. 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, it almost seems like your involvement with the PP and just your experience with going through, you know, prison and everything like that kind of makes you even more of an effective social worker or even more of an effective advocate for the community. Um, you know, uh, it's kind of a messed up thing because kind of like you can't have your cake and eat it too, but at the same time, like, I feel like you're even more well-rounded because of this whole experience and this transformation. I think it helps a lot. Yeah. I am constantly, um, I'm aware. So when I have my FPP hat on and I'm in settings like at the Capitol or whatever work we're doing, then I think that's absolutely correct. But then if I'm at my regular job and I just have my crisis social worker hat on, then I don't bring up my criminal stuff just because it, it might be an overshare. Um, and so I'm constantly talking to like my supervisor about that or, you know, I just, I, I did not, obviously I'm not hiding it. You know, anybody could be listening to this. And if somebody asked me, Hey, I saw you or I heard this or whatever, then I'm not going to lie about it. But I just want to be mindful and, uh, I don't want to make it about me. That was something I think I used to do pre prison. And so I, I think that was one of my hesitants about doing this interview is that it's talking about myself. And, uh, I have been trying not to do that <laughs> because it feels, I don't know. Yeah, well, let's, weird. Take a, let's take a quick break and run okay. an ad. And okay. then when we come back, I'd love to hear you talk all about the work. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. Welcome back to Felony Inc. Podcast. If you're just joining us, our guest today is Nova Sweet, graduate advocate and outreach volunteer for the Family Preservation Project. Nova, uh, we were kind of touching a little bit about uh, you know, your situation you know, before prison and during prison. Um, let's, let's hear about a little, uh, let's kind of expand on what happened after prison, um, after you got involved with the Family Preservation Project, how things started to kind of evolve for you at that point. I got out of prison and immediately, um, so you have a lot of expectations when you get out of prison around, uh, well, for me, it was treatment, um, outpatient treatment, which involves individual therapy, group therapy, group treatment meetings, AA, NA meetings, yada, yada, yada. Um, so I was doing all of that. Uh, thankfully, when I paroled, it was right in the middle or right at the beginning of a legislative session. So, um, and which it also coincided with the Department of Corrections defunding our family preservation project. Um, so I, I came out and started right at the Capitol advocating for the program to continue to be funded, which we actually started advocating about a month before I paroled, 
because we were told that that was uh, the program was going away. So we started a letter writing campaign from inside the walls, sending um, we I started because you can't type anything in prison. Well, you can, but you can't print it out to mail it. So we would write letters. I, I did a form letter. I wrote out a form letter and then you hand it over to your monkey and then they would write five letters and you hand it over and then everybody would sign it and you'd mail it out. And so we mailed massive amount of letters to legislators asking them to support the FPP program. So then I get out, one of my uh, friends who's also in the program gets out. She happens to live in the same town I do. I drive, I was licensed. So her and I are at the Capitol, you know, every waking moment that we're able to our PO is the same person our treatment people are the same person they're fully supportive of us of us doing this and so we're just advocating our butts off for this program which was great um and we were able to get funding for the program I mean it wasn't just us this is when Senator Chip Shields was uh involved which was it was pretty awesome so we did that um I was self-conscious about trying to find a job at that point because I'm a felon. So I ended up getting, I had a friend who let me uh, manage a gymnastic studio, which I had never done before. So I was doing that. Um, and then I ended up starting my own little handyman business, um, which then now three years later, I'm actually a licensed contractor. I have my own side business doing that. Um, I also then through that, I ended up getting a job with the county. So now I have a county job as a crisis mental health worker. And then through that, I also got my license. And so I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. So I have a whole bunch of jobs. So that's what I do now. And I continue to advocate for FPP. And we do all sorts of consultation stuff. And we go places like Arizona and California and, and whatnot. Um, we do, we're working more during the legislative session um, so we're not working much right now, but, uh, we're all over the place. So, uh, recently we interviewed, um, Jessica Katz and, uh, yep. the FPP and, um, she referred to you as Nova, the boss. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you That's just that... cause I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, it's just cause I, I, I am a Virgo and I like to plan things out and I say what I feel and I'm very organized and I hold people accountable. I'm definitely, I'm an action person. And so I just don't like to hear people talk about theories and policies and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what's it, what's it going to look like in practice? How are we going to make this happen? Who's got this task? What's going on? So Miss Katz just, yeah, I'm the boss. And I'm, so I just hold people accountable and get things done. That's a beautiful thing. Um, so in July 2017, as you know, Senate Bill 241, uh, the Bill of Rights for Children oh, for yes. incar of incarcerated parents was passed, uh, making Oregon the first state to recognize the rights of incarcerated mothers and children. Uh, what what role did you have in that? Well, that was a big deal. That was pretty awesome. Um, it's so weird to hear all this stuff because we've just been doing this and then people bring these things up and I'm like, oh yeah, we did do that. Um, so first of all, the bill of rights, when we were incarcerated, Miss Katz and Miss Webb at the time gave us this really cool thing of bill of rights that they had found out of California. And we started reading them and researching them. And we're like, Oh my God, this is so cool. This is what FPP does. Our kids get this. What a great thing. And then fast forward, we 
we're now out. And Ms. Katz is like, well, what if we try and make this an actual Bill of Rights in Oregon? So we hit the streets and we went and, you know, we have all sorts of allies at the Capitol now. We, we just started plugging away and we have, I mean, people believe in the mission. And so we were able to get that passed. We have, you know, we have all sorts of moms and families and kids and everybody and legislators. And it wasn't, I mean, I was in the work groups, the task force meetings, the, the, the hearings, everything. I, I don't know what to say other than that's definitely our baby. And I'm very excited, but now our mission is like, we want the rights to be realities. We want, we don't want this just to be some other document. Now we're trying to get agencies on board on how are you can make this really a living, breathing document that where you actually practice this. That was and part of that question. is, yeah, part of that's destigmatizing the whole thing around uh, incarceration, which is why I do want to be open and honest and transparent about my experience. And I want my kids to be okay with saying, yeah, my mom was locked up. Yeah. What's the big deal? Because yeah. I mean, it's, to me, it's like having somebody die or having somebody have, you know, an issue. It's like, we just need to talk about it. Stop making it like this big deal. Especially considering the prison population of America. I mean, such an incredibly large group of people, particularly people of color, know someone, have a family member or have been through the justice system. So it's not even an uncommon or rare experience. And it's definitely not an experience relegated to the bad people. That's just no. absolute insanity. So it's really, I agree. I It's really important to be able to have transparency and be the voice, particularly, I think, for myself as a white woman, you know, for us as, as folks that, you know, have the privilege to be heard in a different way, it's so important to be out there saying, hey, this is my experience also, right? I found yeah. that telling my story really engenders a kind of compassion that I don't think would happen if I was a woman of color, which is total bullshit, but also fills me with a responsibility to do that very thing, you know, because somebody goes, oh, but you look like me if you were there. Right. right. And so it feels like really, really powerful work. Jessica Katz is amazing. That um, is. Bill of Rights is awesome. We had Brian Lindstrom on here as well a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, oh, talking about mothering on the inside, talking about like a shield. We talked about the film that they made, which is really amazing. I think everyone should see. I believe it's on the YMCA website. Yep. Uh, like a shield, or you can just Google like a shield. It's really powerful stuff. I was in the film as well with my son. Um, those Bill of Rights should absolutely be more than just words. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any, what are some of the things that you guys have been able to put into place? Will you be a little specific on some of the stuff you guys are going for to bring, to make that true, to make that happen with the Bill of Rights to actually make them a practiced set of guidelines versus a really beautiful soliloquy? Well, I know that, um, well, so first of all, every county is different and that's just like baffles me. So um, I know that there's been a lot of work with the Department of Corrections around um, trying to remove some of the barriers for kids going in to visit around like IDs. Uh, uh, and so I, Miss Katz would be way better explaining that. But so there's some of that. Um, I know that we are trying to, or at least me down here, my son and I are uh, developing a website to where our, my main goal is around kids um, to be able to go on there and have a forum to discuss whether it's in a 
like a chat. I don't, it's under development, but something to where they can talk about what their ideas are around making the rights to realities, coming up with new creative ideas um, on a website. We have a social media, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, and we have this webpage. Um, and so we're trying to just create a, a place for them to be and be like, yeah, my mom did this or my dad did this or we can do this and blah, 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 blah. Um, so we're trying to make, create community that way. Um, I, I know, I think those are the main things that stand out to me, but Miss Katz has got so much more going on that I'm not doing it justice right there. I know we've got some, I know she's talking to like the Portland, I don't know if it's the, the county, like Multnomah County, or if it's the Portland police, but she's trying to work things with police practices. I personally would love it if we could have like a, the work that I do in Lynn County is uh, crisis mental health. And I would like to see counties have a crisis mental health responder whenever there's any sort of children involved in things. So we could start having, um, having some sort of point of contact there uh, regarding reducing reducing the trauma if there's going to be an arrest or reducing like DHS involvement if there's going to be some sort of removal just some sort of notification process so it, it's just such a big topic um so that's it's really quite genius actually to center the children mm -hmm. because oh, lawmakers God. and the public in general are compassionate towards the children in a way that they absolutely are not on so-called criminals. So the lack of compassion for incarcerated folks can really be um, turned around and create great compassion for the children of incarcerated folks, which is a real in to reforming the whole system, it would seem. So this is really a genius angle, I think. That's actually and of kind course, of funny right, you like, say that. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of funny you say that because I, I don't remember the actual point. I don't remember if it was between the 2015 and 17, because you say the Bill of Rights passed in 17, right? Is that one? I think that's when the SBC. Yeah, July uh, 2017. Okay. So I remember there was a point that we had this conversation. We were like, we have to stop talking about us moms because they don't give a shit about us moms. Like, we. Nope. You should have thought of that before you committed a crime. And we kind of feel like that too. It's not like we're not, you know, trying to hold ourselves accountable. And there's so many, so much push for like pre adjudication programs and you know whatnot so we're like wait a second but nobody's going to deny the kids how do we get them to focus on the kids but it was a total like conversation over lunch or something so it's kind of funny that you say that i'd love to hear miss cat's memory on on how we did that but yeah it's really really smart and it feels like hand in hand the time right now the moment that we're living in that where the culture is calling for police reform it's mm -hmm. so smart, you know, the conversation about bringing in um, a social worker, an emergency, mm -hmm. you know, advocate, mm -hmm. instead of just armed cops or DHS or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's so brilliant. I mean, so much of what's happening with arrests and who goes to prison, you know, it's certainly, like I just said a minute ago, it's not, quote unquote, the bad people. It's often addicted, mentally ill, you know, uh, racism aside, you know, it's, it's folks that are having issues that would be much better served by community assistance than punishment. 
And so yeah. there seems to be a really ripe time for all of this stuff, despite the pandemic keeping things weird. How is the pandemic affecting this work? And do you have contact with some of any of the people that are in Coffee Creek right now? I had a pen pal for a bit. We, we, uh, Miss Katz organized, um, a big, or it wasn't her. It was a, a group that organized a big pen pal campaign because no, none of the volunteers, which included the Y and, you know, church services, any of those things could go into, into the prison. So it's been really hard on everybody, moms, non-moms anybody inside um no visits none of that stuff um but my pen pal paroled so she's fine um so it's a very gloomy thing i can't even speak on that it's i couldn't imagine the worst thing that ever happened to us is like our pipes froze for like four days and we had to go outside to an outhouse and that's like nothing compared to this i i couldn't imagine it's very, very real. We, I think yeah. we would all really love to see such a huge shift in the prison system that, you know, nonviolent offenders are just let out the doors so that they can stay safe at home with their families. It's really, really troubling. Yeah. I do know that we, um, FPP, were trying to, uh, to work with um, the Women's Justice Institute out of Illinois to develop a chapter here in Oregon because we we have our hands in so many different pots and that's why I'm kind of having trouble like uh, compartmentalizing all these things that we have going on but we're so we're trying to find somebody that knows what they're doing essentially and so we can give them all the things that we have going on and then they can go oh okay this is how you do it so in theory if we can become a chapter then they can help us develop our thoughts around like this social worker thing that and you know for the entire we can be the Justice Institute for Oregon and then say in, you know, Polk County, there's a kid that's facing, you know, their parents are going to be arrested. Somebody in Polk County, that crisis worker can call us at the Institute and we can give them information on what can be helpful, not helpful, whatnot. So we're hoping to have a little more direction. Um, right now, we're just flipping, finding, finding needs and, and doing the best we can. So, uh, Nova, one of the things I learned during the last interview with uh, Jessica was that 80% of incarcerated women are mothers of yeah. children under the uh, age of 18. Is that, mm-hmm. when you were in Coffee Creek, was that, did that ring true? Is that, does everyone yeah, that have children? Seems, it seemed pretty accurate to me. Um, and, yeah, yes, they had children. I don't know if everybody was, you know, the, the primary caregiver or if they, the kids had been removed or not. Yeah. Um, but it seemed like everybody had a kid. And then the ones who didn't have children, um, they were still impacted by the ones who did have kids. Like they were, they were encouraged by watching people have visits. Women are such loving beasts and they want to like hear stories and talk and process and look at pictures and, you know, things like that. And that, just me and my family having an experience would warm, you know, rub off on my side bunkies, you know, day and would and make her day better by sharing my experience with her. And that it just, the whole, the family setting for a female prison is really uh, enduring and helps create hope across the entire environment. At least in my experience, it was like that. Well, I mean, speaking of that, one of the quotes that I heard from you is good breeds good. Um, what mm-hmm. does that quote mean to you specifically? Um, I think that, 
I just think if you're doing the right thing, for the most part, the right thing's going to happen. And um, I think if you, I don't know, it doesn't mean that bad shit's not going to happen. It just means like you focus on the positive, you take your bumps and bruises, you're going to have bad days, you notice what you can control, and then ultimately it's going to be okay. Kind of like that old parable about what, to pick the wolf to feed, feed the good wolf or feed the bad wolf, right? So yeah. like that feeding the good wolf makes the good wolf bigger and stronger. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, yeah, I just don't, I choose not to get all bent out of shape on all the other stuff. And I don't, I don't know if that has to do with my work through my addiction stuff or if that's my personality or whatnot. But I just think that it, at the end of the day, it makes me happier. And your kids, I imagine. I mean, I know mm -hmm. that it's uh, for you to go to prison had to be very hard on your kids for you to work mm -hmm. incredibly hard to turn that experience into something positive for other people mm -hmm. has to have an impact on them. Are they proud of you? Yeah, very. It's really interesting. They're very proud of me. Like my mom will post stuff on her social media. I told my son today I was doing an interview. He's like, for what? I said, uh, post prison success. He said, Oh, congratulations. <laughs> How old are they? And, Wow. Uh, my son's 20 and my daughter's 13. Um, they have, there's no shame in their game at all. They are proud of me. They will go to the Capitol with my daughter's shy. So she doesn't speak as much, but they're, you know, they're very proud of me. Um, it's really interesting. They will speak up. My son will talk about my mom came home. My, just like my mom, she's doing a great job. And it's just been this really, this major event that had so much shame and guilt and awfulness inside of it has really like flipped inside out. And it's just been this life changer. That's, that's a powerful lesson. I think that's an important yeah. takeaway from this interview. There are many, but such an important takeaway that there's a world where, and for many, many folks who go to prison, they live an entire life of carrying that experience with shame and that shame rubs off on the kids and yeah. often the kids end up in prison themselves, but it's yeah. never, you know, turned into an empowering, uh, an empowering story and to take it, be open about it, do your personal work so that you can heal the shame inside yourself and own that story to take it out and help other people. Now you have these kids that like feed the good wolf. They're focused on the good that came out of your experience, the ways that you healed, the ways that you stand up for others versus the fact that you even went in the first place. So they're not focused right. on the fact that mom was an addict or mom fucked up or mom went to prison. They're focused on the awesome work and how mom transformed a bad situation into a better situation. And that's really incredibly powerful and can be an analogy for so many things. I think that's yep. amazing. I definitely practice making you know, my, me my message out of my mess. And I definitely, my actions, I, I, I think somewhere during FPP, I decided I'm not going to, I used to write my kids letters all the time. I'm like, God, these could be, what if these are empty words, you know? So in my letters, I stopped saying, I'm not going to tell you guys what I'm going to do. I'm just going to show you guys what I'm going to do. And that's just what I've lived by. And that's what I live by every day at work. I show up to work. Um, I might be late because I'm just really bad with time, but I'm not showing up because I couldn't sleep because I was high the night before, you know? Um, and I'm, my boss knows my history and my coworkers love me and they know my history. And it's not like I wear it as a badge of honor, but they, you know, if it comes up or whatever, it's just, it's, I'm living a 
very accountable, blessed life. And, um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's been pretty cool. It's extremely cool. Nova. Uh, yeah. Just out of curiosity, uh, where would you like to see yourself and the FPP in the next 10 years? Oh, I want FPP to be for every single mom at Coffee Creek. So the Coffee Creek, so in prison, you there's this whole work-based program. Like if you're in prison, you have to be in this, have a job, right? I think that's fine for women to a certain extent, but I think women who are moms in prison should be in the FPP program because these moms are going home and these moms are going to have, they're going to reintegrate into their families. And so I think it should be focused around the FPP program, that it should be FPP based, not work based. They can also have a job in some component, but they need to, FPP needs to be integrated into the entire prison system. So if in 10 years that can be run in the prison, that's what I would love to have happen. Assuming then, in 10 years we don't have, we haven't abolished prisons altogether. Well, yeah, that would be cool too. <laughs> that, if that can happen, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be sweet. Cause then FPP has a huge, um, uh, post prison. Like we can do whatever. We don't have to be in prison. We can do it wherever, whatever. Um, so I'm, I'm me. I don't know. I'll just go wherever and fit in. However, doesn't matter to me. I just want to have fun. I've been doing yoga. I want to keep doing yoga. Stay sober. Yeah. Hang out. <laughs> I can dig it. And, uh, you know, I appreciate all the hard work you're doing and all the good work you're Thanks. doing. I mean, people need someone motivational like you from that sees and can handle things from all spectrums and all sides yeah. of the equation. Um, obviously, I want to promote uh, the Family Preservation Project one more time. The website, w, ywcapdx.org. Uh, what are the other websites or anything else you'd like to promote, Nova? Uh, I think you can find it all on there. Um the YWCA, you'll find the Mothering Inside, and then they'll have the links to like the Facebook for Mothering Inside. I think you gotta like that page. And then I think on, on there somewhere you'll find all the links to the different stuff that we've done. So that's that's all. It sounds good to me. Yeah. And uh, if people want to contribute, uh, they can donate. And they can go on there, and there's information where they can donate and help fund yep. the uh, PP. Yep. Um, and I think that Jessica Katz said that the pen pal project was also still happening. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, I don't remember how she said to contact. I think the contact is actually on the YWCA, but of course, contacting us at felony Inc, um, is also an option and we can make sure that if anyone is interested in being part of the pen pal program for a woman at coffee Creek prison, we can get that, that information forwarded to Jessica and, uh, hook anyone up with a pen pal people inside prison need human contact now more than absolutely more than ever. It's really dismal, dismal to not have any programming or any visits. And so folks need mail and books and magazines and hope. Yeah. You don't really have to. Commissary. <laughs> you can just write about your life. It's fun to just hear about people's lives. You don't really, you know, you don't have to have been to prison before to write somebody. Right. Or like even develop super deep relationship. Like it's not, it's a commitment, yeah. but it's not, you know, you're not taking on a ton. It's really entertainment. It's sideline. Yeah. It's what's easy for you because what's really small for us on the outside is 
huge for people in prison. You know what, the the way that time flies by and the weeks fly by and all of a sudden it's July and we're all going, where does the time go? It's going to prison and it's lasting 10 years a month. So that's where the time goes. And the inmates are experiencing it in a way that is very, very different than we do on the outside. And those little acts of kindness make a huge amount of difference. And like you said, Nova, that difference for one person, it, 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 it expands out in concentric circles to other people Mm -hmm. in the prison. It's Mm -hmm. contagious. You're in a closed environment like that. And to be able to access joy while you're there is contagious to other inmates. And it's powerful, powerful work. Contagious to their families on the outside. The way that we treat um, the weakest among us is absolutely, you know, what we want for our society. So it's good work. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any Anything, any last thoughts or words of wisdom or, or takeaways you'd like to share from your experience and the work you've done? Oh, goodness. No, I just appreciate it. I just, I would encourage people to learn more about the Family Preservation Project. I'd encourage people to learn more about incarceration and just challenge themselves about something that makes them feel uncomfortable. And maybe it's not prison. Maybe it's about people that don't look like them, you know, but just to really push themselves, it, it's going to be worth it. That's amazing. That, that's yep. great. Well, thank you yep. so much for being here and thank you for the work you're doing. And thank uh, you. hopefully maybe we can have you back sometime. It's been a yeah, really to. Awesome. All thank right. you so much. All right. Take care. Signing out. Yeah. I'd love to, okay, love to check in with you again sometime. Uh, also, okay, just remind you guys, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as always, right now, it's critical to, if you have the ability, please write people that are in prison that you're friends with or that you're related to or that you, you know, you just want to talk to. It means the world to them. Um, definitely, if you can, put money on the books so they can go to canteen. Um, right now, it's critical. Uh, when there's This is a situation where the prisons are a horrible breeding ground for coronavirus. So anything positive that we could do is is very much appreciated. So I always want to push for that. And on that note, uh, thank you to our guest again, Nova Sweet, Family Preservation Project. And hopefully we'll have you on again. Uh, check us out every Friday at 10 a.m. at StartupRadioNetwork.com. And we'll see you next week. Peace. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.